What's up, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Nick Mosider. Today is October 12th, 2022, and this is the Gateway Pundit Daily Recap. Now, typically, this show is hosted by Brian Lupo, but he is in Michigan temporarily until Thursday. And the reason is because Bill Bailey's hosting an event for Republican nominee for Attorney General Matt DiPerno and Secretary of State Christina Caramo. And Brian Lupo's out there uh, supporting and also live streaming the event. So, um, he'll be back Thursday, and in the meantime, he's asked me to fill in for him and do his job on this show, and it's pretty cool to be on the Gateway Punnett. So, uh, those of you that don't know me, I have my own show at rumble.com slash nickmoseeder, so if you like this show and my style of reporting, make sure to check me out there. Now, without further ado, we're going to get right into it, and the task at hand is I've been asked to take five or six of the biggest stories from yesterday from the Gateway Punnett and go over them and give a little bit of commentary. So... I've got everything queued up and ready to go. And the first story is the biggest story that's come out so far of the Igor Danchenko trial, which started yesterday. This is an article by Jim Hoft. FBI counter intel supervisor admits in court that FBI offered Steele another $1 million to prove dossier was real, but he couldn't. Lawless FBI used it to go after President Trump anyway. So, a 16-member jury was selected on Tuesday, and opening arguments were set for Tuesday afternoon in the trial of Igor Danchenko. Danchenko, a Russian national, charged with five counts of making false statements to the FBI in regard to the origins of the Steele dossier. Now, this is from uh, Sean Langile from Fox News, and he said, During questioning from Special Counsel John Durham, Brian... Alton, a supervisor, a supervisory counterintelligence analyst with the FBI, revealed the FBI offered Christopher Steele $1 million if he could corroborate allegations in the dossier, but that Steele could not do so. Alton repeatedly admitted under questioning from Durham that the FBI never got corroboration of the information in the Steele dossier, but used it in the initial FISA application and in the three subsequent renewals. Now, this is a pretty big deal because what this does is it implicates not Igor Danchenko, but the FBI. See, because Igor Danchenko, he came up with this BS narrative that Trump colluded with Russia, and that was used in the Steele dossier, and then that Steele dossier was used to obtain a FISA warrant to spy on Trump aide Carter Page. Now, what this tells us is that prior to them trying to obtain the FISA warrant uh, using the Steele dossier, they found out that none, none, of, none of the information in the Steele dossier could be corroborated. So they knew it was false, they knew it was all lies, and yet they used it anyway to the FISA court to get the, the warrant to spy on Carter Page. This is pretty massive, okay? This entire trial is not about Igor Danchenko. This is about the entire conspiracy and the FBI's lies and corruption. Okay, this guy Igor Danchenko was more or less just a pawn in that grand scheme. And so, so far, (laughs) I'd say this has been a pretty big success in getting the evidence on the table. Uh, Brian Cates actually does a fantastic job on Telegram summarizing what we got yesterday. And so I'm just going to read one of his Telegram posts. He says, So it looks like the FBI offered $1 million to Steele in October of 2016 if he could cough up some corroboration for the dossier. Steele couldn't do it, but the FBI went ahead and put the Steele dossier allegations 
in the Carter Page warrant anyway. Then in March of 2017, over a month after Donald J. Trump had been sworn in as the nation's 45th president, the FBI hires Steele, employee Danchenko, as a confidential human source and begins paying him to see if he could corroborate any of the allegations they had been using to spy on Trump and his associates since October of 2016, and were continuing to use in renewals to keep up their spying. And for some strange reason, reason the FBI keeps Danchenko on as a confidential human source and continues paying him for another two and a half years, even though the FISA surveillance warrant's last renewal expired in September of 2017. Very interesting. So the FBI couldn't corroborate the Steele dossier. Then they offered a million dollars to Christopher Steele to try to corroborate it, and he couldn't do it. Then they hired Igor Danchenko as a confidential human source and started paying him to corroborate it, and he couldn't do it. So it just goes to show you the FBI was so desperate to try to come up with anything that they could use to say that Trump colluded with Russia, and they couldn't. However, they went ahead and went to the FISA court to obtain the warrant to spy on Carter Page anyway, knowing all of this was false. And what Brian Cates goes on to say is when the supervisory agent acting as the affiant signs off on the warrant application, they are making a legal sworn statement to the court that the evidence in the warrant is true and that they have verified it to the best of their ability. Now, so they swore this under oath that what they had was true and that they verified it to the best of their ability. And what Durham has just forced Alton to reveal is that none of that was true and the FBI lied to obtain the FISA warrant. Okay, now this next story is truly heartbreaking and we're going to watch about a five-minute video, which is a must-see. This is an article from Kara Castronuova. Decorated Marine and 21-year New York Police Department officer Thomas Webster to turn himself in tomorrow to serve a decade in prison for allegedly assaulting an officer on January 6th. Now, before we even watch this video, I want you guys to get a good look at the two-tier justice system. And I want you guys to compare the fact that this man is going to serve 10 years in prison to this Antifa rioter who threw a Molotov cocktail and burned down the Minneapolis police station who will serve four years in prison. Okay, now we're going to watch this five-minute video, which is very heartbreaking and proves Marine Thomas Webster's innocence. This is exculpatory footage of a D.C. Metro police officer provoking him and punching him straight in the face before they eventually wrestle to the ground. Now again, Thomas Webster is turning himself in to serve 10 long years in prison for assaulting an officer. So the, so the details here are very important, right? And we're very important to this trial and Webster's attorneys, right? Well, well, check this out. This video clip that you're about to see was withheld from Webster's attorneys until just one week before the trial and withheld from the public entirely. So Webster's attorneys did not have the opportunity to use this evidence or did not have enough time to put together arguments based on this evidence because they didn't get it until a week before the trial and it was intentionally withheld. Now, another really important thing is the fact that this officer that he got into an altercation with, Officer uh, Rathbun, was under investigation for the lethal shooting of Vito Hall on May 24th, 2021. Now, Vito 
happened to be black, this man that the officer lethally killed. And the reason this is noteworthy is because uh, generally when a white cop shoots a black man, there's massive media coverage and Black Lives Matter protesters and rioters, right? But there was almost no media coverage. Now, here's why. For the first time since the district enacted a law requiring the release of body-worn camera, camera footage, anytime a D.C. police officer uses lethal force, Mayor Bowser made an exception in this case and decided not to release video of the, recent, uh, of the most recent police killing. So Mayor Bowser made an exception to the law, <laughs> which, which says that they have to release the footage anytime a D.C. officer uses lethal force. Mayor Bowser decided not to release it in this case, and I wonder why. Okay, so now that you guys understand the backstory, let's go ahead and play this five-minute video, which includes multiple-angle video footage of what actually happened. Thomas Webster is a decorated Marine, an NYPD police officer of 20 years, a family man, and a patriot. He's a proud father of three. He served his country in the 1st Battalion, 6th Marine Regiment. Tom is known as a cheerful man, a respected pillar in the community, and he's known for his love of family. Tom was a decorated infantryman with three overseas deployments, receiving a slew of medals, ribbons, and commendations. Tom was a decorated NYPD officer who trained hundreds of recruits and served in prominent positions. And he's going to jail for 10 years for assaulting a police officer on January 6th. Tom turned down a plea deal. He was provoked and there was video evidence to prove it. So the government withheld capital camera footage until one week before trial. On January 6th, 2021, Tom Webster attended his first ever political protest. At 2 p.m., he arrived at the Capitol, and he went over to the West Terrace where the crowd was told that there was going to be a speech. As Tom walked closer to the protesters, the reality of the situation began settling in. We're being attacked by our own country. We're being attacked by the police. We're being attacked by people that we back, and they're attacking us unprovoked. So you're walking around and you're seeing women crying, you're seeing fully grown men crying, praying to God, you're seeing people running around wiping their eyes with tear gas in their eyes. You're seeing people who can't breathe. God damn it, we need them. Let's go, fucking shoot it. Go, shoot, shoot the fucking. The smoke grenades started coming down. The rubber bullets were shot. The tear gas was started. People who are covered in blood, who have rubber bullets in their face. This is what you were walking around witnessing in actual disbelief. Women being shoved, women being pushed, kids crying, people being beaten by police, people running around with blood on their faces. He was watching his fellow Americans literally being bombarded with grenades, with tear gas, with pepper spray, with rubber bullets, all of these being peaceful protesters. He sensed the terror around him, and it was almost like he felt he had no choice but to walk up to that gate. At 2.28 p.m., Tom Webster walked up to the police line in complete disbelief. Webster approached the barrier to voice his First Amendment rights. The officer reacts with aggressive shoving instead of de-escalation. 
The officer looks up at Webster's Marine Corps flag. Webster does not expect the officer to start pushing him. After looking at Webster's flag, the officer initiates contact. The officer pushes Webster. The push can be seen from several camera angles. The officer lunges over the barricade. The officer reaches over the police barricade, lunges, and pushes Webster multiple times. Several pushes can be seen at various angles as the officer lunges over the barricade. Frustrated by the officer's repeated escalation of physical contact, Webster pushes the bike rack. With a deliberate wind-up, the officer punches Webster hard in the face with a gloved hand. Webster said that the punch hit like a freight train and he was seeing stars. The officer testified that he attempted to push Webster's shoulder and slipped, hitting his face. Webster then reacts to the hit in self-defense, swinging his flag at the rail gate, never making contact with the officer. The officer crosses the gate to re-engage Webster. Webster is backed away from the police barrier and he reacts to the officer coming towards him. Webster waves the officer to stay away. Webster believes the officer is after him. The officer crossing the gate rail and grabbing the pole away from Webster. This officer initiated the physical contact. So Webster said he feels the crowd moving forward and feels pressure from a red-headed man behind him. Tom testified that he felt the need to defend himself. The officer rams the flagpole twice into the side of Webster's face and mouth. You could see the pole in Tom's face. Webster says he pushed up the officer's gas mask, but he did not strike him. Officer provokes, taunts, pushes, and strikes Webster in the face. So the officer testified that he did not make any hand gestures. The officer testified he didn't punch Webster and he said that his hand slipped. This police officer didn't even file a report, a police report, and that he doesn't even remember the situation. The judge called it a touch, but when it came to the police officer punching him in the face, it was just a touch. Thomas Webster is your typical American hero. Decorated Marine, 20-year police officer in New York City, unblemished record, and he's going to jail for 10 years for assaulting a police officer on January 6th. These are you know, people that are here to stand up for the Constitution, for voter integrity. The type of guy, who, law enforcement, military, that have a certain type masculine and have a certain type of mentality that aren't afraid to stand up to the government. Okay, so again, guys, this video footage was withheld from Webster's attorneys until a week before the trial. And the officer testified under oath that he never punched Webster in the face. And we can clearly see in this video footage that he did. Not only did he punch him, but he pushed him multiple times. And Webster wasn't trying to push through the barricade whatsoever. The officer pushed him and punched him clearly provoking this altercation in the first place. Now, there was one thing that Webster did which he shouldn't have done, and that's when the barricade was taken down, uh, Webster charged the officer, and he should not have done that. However, however, this is clearly an altercation that was provoked by the officer, and the officer lied under oath. But this man, Webster, is going to serve 10 years in prison. And again, I'll bring your attention to the fact than an Antifa rioter who threw a Molotov cocktail into a police station 
and Minneapolis was given four years in prison. Compare and contrast the two. Okay, next up is the biggest story from yesterday, and there's a good reason for that because this is massive. Breaking big, Pfizer director admits vaccine was never tested on preventing transmission during EU hearing, contrary to previous claims. An article by Jim Hoft. So, this is Pfizer's president of international developed markets, Janine Small, admitting that the vaccine had never been tested on its ability to prevent transmission. Now, what were we all told? We have to get vaccinated to stop the spread. That if you're vaccinated, not only will you not get COVID, but you can't spread it to anybody else. We were told that over and over and over by multiple authority figures. Everybody was told that. But it turns out they absolutely had no basis in saying that because they never even tested it. Now let's go ahead and play this video so that you guys can hear it right out of Janine Small's mouth. Voor u, mevrouw Small, heb ik de volgende vraag waar ik een duidelijk antwoord op wil. And I will speak in English so there are no misunderstandings. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. Unfreaking believable, man. And shout out to this politician from the Netherlands for calling her out and demanding an answer to this question because. Not only does this expose the, the politicians and the various authority figures that told us this vaccine stops the spread and, and, and proves that they were lying and had no basis for saying that, but it also just goes to show how much nonsense went into this whole vaccine agenda because she said we had to move at the speed of science. But you didn't move at the speed of science because moving at the speed of science, if you think about it, would mean testing the vaccine first to see if it actually does stop the spread before we, before you release it onto the public and tell everybody that it does and tell them that they're going to lose their job if they don't take it. See, what you did was you moved at the speed of an agenda and a profit motive to get this vaccine out there and force people to take it as quickly as humanly possible without running any tests to see if it actually has side effects or to see if it actually works. Next up, breaking video, Project Veritas action hits radical Arizona Democrat Katie Hobbs with undercover sting, exposes her plan to confiscate guns. And why does that not surprise me? Uh, because she's a Soros-backed commie that uses her office to rig elections, okay? But anyways, we're going to get into this. So this is by Jordan Conradson. Project Veritas action released new undercover footage of radical leftist Arizona gubernatorial nominee Katie Hobbs. Campaign insiders reveal why they are keeping Hobbs from the debate stage. Project Veritas Action Press Secretary R.C. Maxwell, a black man, later confronted Hobbs outside of a restaurant, scaring the hell out of her. She immediately packed her bag and stood up in such a hurry to run away that she spilled her drink all over the place like an unstable maniac. And she, she really did. Wait till you see this video. It's pretty funny. Hobbs then tried to hide in the bathroom and later ran away from the Project Veritas action reporter struggling to get into her car. 
The Gateway Pundit has reported extensively on Katie Hobbs' proven record of racism and her two unanimous jury convictions for racial discrimination while serving as Arizona state legislator. More recently, and we talked about this yesterday, the Gateway Pundit reported on new photos which show that Katie Hobbs embraced slavery by participating in and leading her high school slave day tradition, where students were led around by collar and chain to be sold off at auctions, just like the democratic slave trade of the 1800s. And guys, if you missed yesterday's show, it's on my Rumble channel at rumble.com slash Nick We talked all about this. It was this was one of the <laughs> it's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. This Catholic school, they had a tradition of having their students reenact the slave trade, literally having students on the ground in collars be, with with slave masters like uh, leading them around, white kids dressing up in blackface, and Katie Hobbs uh, partook in this tradition. And I, I, I even gave her the benefit of the doubt. I said, you know, look, it wasn't her idea. It was the school she went to. But that's not the only indictment of Katie Hobbs as a racist, okay? Because we have two unanimous jury convictions that she's, uh, you know, she was guilty of racial discrimination as an adult as a state legislator. So she's got quite a track record of, you know, she has this shady past. Clearly, clearly, the Democrats are the racists here. And uh, additionally, we reported that Katie Hobbs recently appeared at a Hispanic gubernatorial forum where she struggled and fumbled her words when asked to name one good thing about the Hispanic community in Arizona, <laughs> which reminded me of when Jill Biden compared Hispanics to frickin' tacos, right? These these people are so out of touch and off base. No matter how hard people like Katie Hobbs try to hide it, and Jill Biden and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, it always comes through. I mean, they, they always slip up, and you get a real good glimpse of how they actually feel about minorities. And Katie Hobbs, I mean, we have countless examples. Um... They try to hide behind virtue signaling and try to act like they're the party of inclusivity and equality and all this stuff and accuse Republicans of being Nazi white supremacists. And these Republicans are trying to enact laws that just want to suppress the votes of minorities and blah, 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 blah. But when it really gets down to it, you can clearly see that people like Katie Hobbs view minorities like subhuman, second class, less than individuals. And so now we have another Project Veritas expose of Katie Hobbs running in fear, ducking for cover at the sight of a black man. Trump-endorsed Republican gubernatorial nominee Carrie Lake told the Gateway Pundit, watching Hobbs sprint away from a black man who was asking her questions paints the picture of who Hobbs really is, a cowardly racist. Her contempt for the voters and for people of color is unbelievably embarrassing and cruel. Arizonans will never elect a racist coward to our state's highest office. In prior undercover videotapes, Katie Hobbs and her campaign insiders are seen revealing why she will not debate Carrie Lake at the Citizens Clean election, Elections debate tomorrow. Carrie Lake told the Gateway Pundit during a press conference earlier today, I have asked, as you know, the organizers of tomorrow night's debate to keep the deadline open right up until the moment the debate starts, and I hope she'll find the courage to show up, but we know that she won't. Lake continued, The important thing to note is that the people of Arizona, the hardworking people of Arizona, are taking note and they're realizing that she won't show up for the job interview. And that's exactly what it is. 
You're running for office, which is essentially a job interview. We, the people, are interviewing you. We want to know what your policy, policies are. We want to know what you stand for. We want to know your principles. We want to know that you're actually going to represent the, the will of the people, right? And if you hide and you refuse to debate your opponent, it really doesn't look like you're interested in allowing us to see your true colors, right? I mean, only a coward would, would do something like that. And here, Carrie Lake is out engaging with the people on the ground, answering questions, tough questions too, because we know how the, the media is. But Katie Hobbs just hides in her basement like Joe Biden. In the video below, weak Katie Hobbs is seen explaining how she lied to an Uber driver by claiming that she works for a campaign because she was too scared to talk about, <coughs> excuse me, too scared to talk about her failing campaign for governor. She said, quote, I don't want to talk politics to anyone who I don't know, said Hobbs, a candidate for governor. Arizona needs an honest governor on the ninth floor. Her campaign consultants also hypocritically revealed Hobbs' plans to violate our Second Amendment rights while touting their own guns. So they can have them, but, but we can't, right? Further, they explain that Hobbs refuses to participate in tomorrow's debate because, quote, they just don't think the debate is worth her time, either because it's not, it's not going to change anyone's mind, or they think it might actively be bad for her in some way. Yes, it will be bad for her to have to debate Carrie Lake, who would demolish her on every single policy issue and throw every single stain of her past in her face and force her to answer for it. That would be pretty bad for her, and she can't afford to do that because she has absolutely nothing to stand for except for a criminal track record. So we're going to watch the full undercover expose below, and it's about seven minutes long. So without further ado, let's, let's go ahead and play it. Scary there. RC Maxwell with Project Veritas Action. Asked a brief question about statements that he's made. Oh, you just closed your photo. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk politics to anyone who I don't know. Is that an AR 15? That is an AR 15. Easier to fire than a handgun. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's kind of scary. That's why it's scary. Would Katie support something like an assault weapons ban? If she could, yeah. I mean, that, the problem is that's a federal issue, right? There's nothing she could do about it. Right. At least immediately, right? Instead of kind of advocating for it publicly, which is really more impactful once you're governor. We have a lot of concerns about Katie's candidate not debating very late, which is... Why not? We don't know. I would love nothing more than the opportunity to have a substantive conversation mm. about the issues. And Carrie Lake has shown that she's capable of doing that. So we are providing an opportunity for folks who are here around the city, and we're going to keep doing it. Multiple Project Veritas journalists investigated the Katie Hobbs campaign for governor in Arizona and found out why Hobbs is unwilling to debate her opponent, Carrie Lake. One individual who spoke with our journalist is Jasper Adams, a field organizer with Mission for Arizona. Part of my job is coordinating with the campaigns. Um, so we're the coordinating campaign. So, is that so mission? that's Mission for Arizona. Okay, that's right. So like 
Mark Kelly and Katie Hobbs and Tomah Halloran and Tom Halloran's the campaign has been like today and uh and just all the Democrats all buy in so they don't like duplicate efforts. I'm just kidding. We have a lot of concerns about Katie's campaign. Why? Lots of stuff. She's not debating very late, which is why not? We don't know. So that sort of thing. Really? How do you not know her campaign? Between between us, when we had really big staff training, her communications director came in, and she's only been in the job for a few weeks. She was not prepared. And our, she was like, "What are the questions you're getting that you want an answer for from the campaign? Like, what are we hearing from voters and volunteers?" The number one thing is why people voting for not have an answer. And so you got to know, like that's it. That's like you got to know that's the question that's coming. Wait, so Katie's employee didn't have an answer, or Katie? Did? Well, she's a communication director, so she makes the message. So the campaign doesn't have an answer. They basically, mm. basically said only Democrats care about debates, and it's not going to change anything. Yeah, but she is a Democrat. She was saying, they were saying only Democratic voters care, so it's, they're not going to lose any votes because Democrats are going to vote for anyway, which is which maybe is true, but it, it's as a politician, you never want to say, oh, I'm taking these votes for granted. I do wonder how many, like, whether people actually care about this. Care about what? Like the debate thing. Oh, I think but, when people do. Yeah. Right? I don't know. I mean, it's you hard. said that's like the number one question you're getting. Yeah, that's like a big question, especially from volunteers. Mm-hmm. I don't know about voters as much. The average voter doesn't really even know about this. I think it's as simple as that. They just don't think that the debate is worth her time, either because they think it's not going to change anyone's mind or they think it might actively be bad for her in some way. So she's good at this kind of public-facing stuff, even though she's a terrible candidate. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, Katie Hobbs is, like, policy-focused. She's very good at her job as Secretary of State. She'll be a great governor. So you think, like, Carrie, Carrie would probably win? Well, I, I, you know, winning the, everyone thinks their own candidate won every debate. I just think that they, yeah, they, 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 they just think that like it probably wouldn't persuade a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Either, either it wouldn't persuade people one way or the other, or it wouldn't help her. While Adams seems concerned about Hobbs not debating Carrie Lake, Hobbs campaign manager, Nicole DeMont, seems to encourage Katie not to debate. Did you watch the GOP primary debate? No. Okay. Well, there's a clip on Twitter, uh, like a two-minute recap clip, and it was a shit show. It was like really embarrassing for Arizona. And when they off, when Clean Elections was like, here's the debate format, it was exactly the same as the primary. And I was like, we're not going to put her in that. Like, she's not going to be part of something like that. Like, if you want to make a format that actually allows for, like, a substantive policy debate. Yeah. And we, where you can, like, compare positions, sure, we'll do that. So they want to see Carrie create this, like, spectacle. And we're like, we're not yeah. participating in that. And we're doing a bunch of forums. Um, yeah. can like actually hear both sides. According to DeMont, Hobbes would only debate if it were substantive policy and to compare positions. Well, here is her head political consultant, Joe Wolf, discussing Hobbes' position on gun control. Would Katie support something like an assault weapons ban? If she could, yeah. I mean, that, the problem is that's a federal issue, right? Like, right. Or like if something came down in the states. Yeah, because I noticed like Kelly's kind of open about it, and I know Katie said like, oh, she supports gun reform, but I, I haven't heard anything explicit. Is that more just because, is there like a big difference between sort of the policy-wise? No, between the people, so much is just because it's a federal issue, and like you know, there's nothing she could do about it. Right. 
at least immediately, right? And so I'm kind of advocating for it publicly, which is really more impactful once you're governor. So it's kind of like, this state, unfortunately, is crazy and what they got. So we're not going to take the beating for it before she can do anything about it. Oh. So if she mentioned it publicly, that would not be good? I don't I don't know. More likely than not. Because I haven't been in Arizona too long, so I don't really know. Like, he would never say something like Tom Howard, a congressman, Democrat, represents all this. Never. Really? Never say anything like that. Really? Because that's such a big issue here, huh? Correct. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. Wolf tells our journalist that Hobbs would support an assault weapon ban if she could. This conversation happened following Wolf driving our journalist around with an AR-15 in the car. Is that an AR-15? That is an AR-15. Yeah, he had it broken down in the backpack when we started. He just pulled it out. It can fit in a backpack? Yeah, this this folds down. It's a crowd control weapon. Easier to fire than a handgun. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's kind of scary. That's why it's scary. Our Project Veritas action reporter, R.C. Maxwell, met up with Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, and this is what she had to say. R.C. Maxwell with Project Veritas action. That's the brief question about statements that he's made. Oh, you spilled your soda. Going inside of a restroom, she's ran. Considering your campaign drives around with an AR-15, don't you think rules for the but not for me, is problematic for someone running for state office? The car's locked, Ms. Hobbs. Secretary Hobbs, ladies and gentlemen, running from a Project Veritas action reporter, doesn't want to discuss policy. I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk politics to anyone who I don't know. Okay, so you guys saw the video of Katie Hobbs running at the, the mere sight of a black man so so quickly that she spilled her drink. That was that was pretty hilarious. What a coward, man. She's the biggest coward I've ever seen. Not only will she not answer questions from a reporter, but she also won't debate her opponent. And this field organizer, Jasper Adams, he basically said, you know, I'm the guy that coordinates between the campaigns, and, and Katie Hobbs' campaign doesn't even have an answer for why Katie Hobbs won't debate. And this is the number one question that her campaign is getting, is why won't you debate Carrie uh, Carrie Lake? They don't have an answer. She's trying to hide behind this whole, you know, Carrie Lake's nothing but a conspiracy theorist election denier, so she's not worth my time. But nobody's going for that. I guarantee you, if you took a poll of the people in Arizona, 99.9% of the people would say, yeah, we want to see a debate. I mean, if you're so strong on your policies and you're so strong as a candidate, then you would wipe the floor with Carrie Lake. Make a mockery of her. Put her in her place. But you can't. And only a coward would duck and hide from that situation. And here's the other thing, right? Carrie Lake accurately points out that it's a job interview, right? And and, and here's the thing. The, the, the guy, Jasper Adams, also said... You know, he feels like, uh, or Katie Hobbs' campaign feels like there's no sense in debating because it won't change anyone's mind, right? And essentially, Katie Hobbs doesn't think she needs to earn anybody's vote. She thinks it's a given. Democrats are going to vote for her anyway. And what that really means to me is Katie Hobbs thinks that, uh, you know, the, the deep state and the Democrats are going to be able to rig the election for her. And it's just like how Joe Biden said... You know, I don't need you to vote for me. We created the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud system in American history. So Katie Hobbs thinks that she's got this in the bag, not because she's 
actually able to win against Carrie Lake, but because she's the Secretary of State, she's the head election official. So she controls the entire election. So Katie Hobbs thinks to herself, well, these Republicans failed to change a single election law. We still have mass scale mail-in voting. We still have early voting. We still have drop boxes. We still have uh, Dominion machines. In fact, we replaced them with new ones. And we also have this massive cartel of ballot trafficking mules like we like was exposed in 2000 mules. Arizona is like ground zero for you know ballot trafficking mules. And Katie Hobbs thinks that she can depend on and rely on this fraud system to beat Carrie Lake. But even though Katie Hobbs controls the election, and even though they have this fraud system in place, you can tell that people like Katie Hobbs are pretty nervous right now about these midterms. The Democrats, the mainstream media, the deep state, they're pretty panicked. That's why they're trying so desperately to have people like George Soros and Bill Gates funnel millions of dollars into their campaigns. And what they're finding out is that it's not working. That money... You know, you, you can give this guy $10 million for his campaign and run as many ads as you want, and still people aren't buying it because their policies are so poor at this point. Everybody that lives in Arizona knows the border is wide open, that we have massive crime, that inflation is out of control, and everybody's sick of the Democrat Party. So they're looking at these polling numbers and they're saying, I don't think we can even print enough ballots to overcome this massive red wave that's coming. I don't think we have enough mules. I don't think we're going to need two truckloads of ballots this year. And they are definitely nervous. That's why they're trying so hard to paint Carrie Lake as a, as a conspiracy theorist. But the reality is people know that there's a problem with elections. I mean, you had the Democrats for four years say the election was stolen. And then you had Trump come out and say the election was stolen. So both parties know that there's problems in elections, right? So this whole idea that, you know, anyone who questions an election is a conspiracy theorist doesn't make any sense to people. And they're like, okay, Carrie Lake is saying that we have problems and I'm going to fix them. The border is wide open and I'm going to declare it an invasion and get it under control. And the people see the massive human trafficking problem. They see that their infrastructure is overrun by illegals. They see the fentanyl coming in. They see the crime. And they're looking at Carrie Lake like, okay, that makes a whole lot more sense than this idiot over here that won't even show her face and is being a coward. And so here's the message as we wrap this up. People like Katie Hobbs are clearly nervous. You know, they have this voter fraud system, but clearly our votes count for something. And so we saw that in the primaries where I don't think people like Katie Hobbs expected Carrie Lake to win. I don't think they expected Mark Fincham to win, and I definitely don't think they expected that all of their propaganda, all of their lies that they've told, you know, all of this effort and money that they've spent trying to destroy these people politically, like Katie Hobbs and Mark Fincham, has failed. And the people are overwhelmingly on their side. They don't know what to do, because for many, many years, the legacy media has been able to run interference for them. And money, you know, people like George Soros and Bill Gates had all the power over elections, right? And they're seeing that their system is falling apart and they're panicked. So I know there's people out there that think, well, I don't think my vote counts, so I'm not going to show up on election day. What's the point? You have to. You have to show up on election day. Because clearly, clearly, your vote counts for something or they wouldn't be this nervous. 
Now, guys, with that, we're going to wrap this up. Please consider going to rumble.com slash nickmoseater and becoming a subscriber on my personal channel. You can also go to nickmoseater.locals.com. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. It's been a real pleasure and an honor to fill in for Mr. Brian while he's gone. And we're going to be back tomorrow. Uh, Same time, same place. Okay, so make sure you tune in. Anyways, thanks for watching, and I will see you next time.